All right, for the adults here and, and teens, uh, if you would now uh, take out the, the, the full insert from the, the worship bulletin. So we are in the year of popularity, the second year of Jesus' ministry. We have been for, for a couple weeks here. We, we had the introduction, Jesus in Capernaum. That was the headquarters uh, during most of his, uh, his ministry. And we are going to go forward from where we left off in, in Luke's uh, Gospel, uh, Chapter 7. And we're not going to read it in its entirety, though, at, at, this, at this point. Now, we may try to hide them or deny them, but we all have them. And what I'm referring to are weaknesses, chinks in our armor, if you will. Even the, the strongest people in this room, you have a weakness. You have a weakness that, that Satan desires uh, to manipulate and to find and to exploit you in your weakness in order to get you to fall. Now, as I read the Bible and, and read the real-life story of real-life people, uh, what hits me all the time now is that even the strongest people in their faith, the Bible records their weaknesses. Uh, for instance, Noah, right, the, the flood story. Noah's weakness was alcohol. Abraham, the man of faith, his weakness was he, was he had a fear of losing his wife to another man. Isaac, his weakness was favoritism. He, he favored some people over another. Jacob, his son, his weakness was deceit. The ends justified the means for him, and he was deceptible to get his way. Uh, we can look at David, David's weakness. Adultery. Now, in our text this morning, we have a, a very, very strong biblical character, John the Baptist. He was a man's man. He was a preacher's preacher. He wore camel hair uh, clothing, rugged individual, ate locusts and wild honey. And, and crowds loved him. They, they went into a very remote area along the Jordan River to hear him preach. And it was truly a fire and brimstone type message. Repent. Turn away from your sins, admit them, but also of grace. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And there's one coming after me who's greater than I am, and, and he is the Messiah. I'm the forerunner, I'm not the Messiah. And, and, and we see John the Baptist, and, and again, we, we know what a strong person, individual he was. But guess what? In, in today's text, we discover his weakness. And perhaps it's the same weakness that, that you have. So I want you to think about your weaknesses. You don't have to tell them to other people, but you know what they are. I have sometimes in messages referred to them as signature sins or signature weaknesses. In Satan's case, Satan's signature temptations towards you. Now with that in mind, let's begin our, our text. We, we left off at verse 10. We're now in Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. 
When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. So you have to put yourself in the scene here. Jesus alone has a very large crowd walking with him. And and they're all pumped up because Jesus just healed a a boy, a servant of the centurion. Right? They're all pumped up, and, and Jesus is the miracle worker. He's the son of God. And they travel from Capernaum to another town called Nain. And as they are entering the town, there's a very large crowd leaving the town. But they're not all pumped up. They are extremely sad because it was the death of a young man. And we're told that he was the only son of a woman who was a widow. So not only had her husband died, but now her only son has died. And the pallbearers are carrying his coffin And they're going outside that town of Nain to bury him. I can only imagine how she must have felt as a widow and now burying her one and only son. So again, a mixture of the crowds, uh, they are coming together. We're told that Jesus' heart went out to her. Uh, The Greek word that's translated, his heart went out to her, it's a Greek word that we've talked about before. It's called splankna. It literally means his guts went out to her. And it seems kind of strange to us that his guts would go out to her. But if you think about it, isn't it a little bit strange that we say our heart goes out to somebody? Our heart actually doesn't leave our body and go out to somebody. It's the same synonym, though. Jesus' emotions were touched. He felt it in his gut. This woman and her pain and her sorrow and his heart, his compassion went out to this woman. Now, now our theme today is evidence like none other. And we're told in Scripture that Jesus is the image of God. And if we want to know what God is like, study the person of Jesus Christ. He's God in the flesh. If you want to know what Jesus is like, study the Word of God. Remember last week, Jesus said, these Scriptures testify concerning me. So all of us here have gone through difficult times. We've gone through times of sorrow. We've experienced the loss and death of loved ones. But you need to understand that the evidence is, based on Scripture, that Jesus cares. And this is the very first fill-in. It is this. In a world of pain and death, the Scriptures give me evidence that God does indeed care. His heart not only went out to this woman, this widow, bearing uh, her son, His heart goes out to you as well. Realize that in times of sorrow, Jesus is there. He knows what you're going through. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. His heart went out to this woman uh, that was entering name. Verses 14 through 17. Then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Imagine how that that boy must have felt. I mean, brought back to life, he's talking, and and Jesus gives him back to his mother. Imagine how she must have felt, her son being alive again. They're all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. 
Now, Jesus has been performing miracle after miracle after miracle, healing people, a man with a shriveled hand and it's fully restored, people that were, were born lame, able to, to leap and walk, and, and all these incredible things, people blind that they can now see. But here we have an example of a dead man. The Bible says he was dead. He had no brainwave activity. He was dead. He wasn't just that his heart stopped, but his, his, his brain was still alive. Completely dead. And Jesus spoke to him, and this young man came back to life. Now, technically, this was not a resurrection from the dead. Resurrection from the dead will happen on the final day. Jesus is the only one so far that's been resurrected back to life. And what that means is that uh, Jesus died. He came back to life with a strong, perfected, resurrected body, that will never die again. Uh, what, what Jesus did for this young man was not a resurrection back to life, but it was a restoration back to life. There is a difference. He was restored back to life. He would then live out his life. He eventually died again. But you know what? Uh, he will be resurrected back to life on the final day. So evidence, again, evidence of who Jesus is. Only God can raise the dead. Second fill-in is this. The scriptures give evidence that Jesus, the Son of God, has power over death. Some of you are there. Some of you have buried a loved one in the last year or two. Realize, again, Jesus knows, he cares. Ultimately, he will raise all the dead. Our best days are ahead of us. Our best days are ahead of our loved ones. What an amazing thing. What an amazing day that final day will be. That's what the Christian faith is about, the resurrection of Jesus, our resurrection back to life as well. No one else, no one else has power over death like Jesus does. Verses 18 through 20. John's disciples told him about all these things. This is John the Baptist. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Why would John sent, send these men to ask this question? Are you the one, or somebody else? Just a year prior, when Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist was a part of that, remember? Uh, Jesus came to John, and John said, Oh, no, I need to be baptized by you, not vice versa. And Jesus said, No, John, baptize me. This is to fulfill all righteousness. And a miracle happened. John baptizes Jesus, the Son of God. The heavens are ripped open. The Holy Spirit flutters down over the Jordan River, lands on Jesus. God the Father speaks, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. The next day, John sees Jesus on the other side of the river. And what did John say? Did he say, Jesus, who we expect somebody else? No. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had no doubt that Jesus was the Messiah just a year prior. So what's going on here? Why is John the Baptist now saying, are you the one, or, or should we expect somebody else? 
Now, to understand why he asked the question, you have to understand where he is. John is in prison. And he's in prison because of the word of God. Again, John was uh, very bold. He was fearless. He was calling sinners to repentance. Turn from your sin and, and be baptized for forgiveness. And then believe in Jesus. But there was, John was asked a, very, asked a very political and pointed question. Um, Herod the Great, when he died, he divided his kingdom. And, and he split his kingdom up, and two of his sons received some of his power. Uh, they were Herod Antipas and Herod Philip. And they're, they're brothers, Antipas and Philip. And, and, and Philip gets married to a woman, and her name is Herodias. More likely she was renamed Herodias, Herod, Herodias, right? That, that's his wife. But uh, Herod Antipas, it must have been a family function or something, but they, they, they come together, and, and he falls in love with his brother's wife. And not only does he fall in love with her, but he divorces his own wife, and he basically steals his brother's wife. And, and John the Baptist was asked about this. So what do you think of Herod uh, taking his brother's wife as his own? And John gave a, a biblically sound answer. He's committing adultery. That Herodias is not his wife. He is his brother's wife. You can imagine a person of power like um, Herod Antipas. He didn't like hearing that. Neither did Herodias. And so they had John the Baptist arrested now, John knew, John knew, Jesus must become greater, I must become less. John said that a year earlier. But more likely, John was not expecting to be arrested, put in prison. So John is, is rotting in prison. That's his circumstance. He hears things about Jesus, but why isn't Jesus doing anything for me? What about me? Now, I don't think John was being selfish, but it, he, he had some doubts because of where he was. Now, keep in mind as well, John the Baptist was the, was the last Old Testament prophet, and he knew it. He was very familiar with Old Testament prophecy. John knew Isaiah chapter 60, which basically talks about the Messiah setting the captives free. You have it printed there for you. So the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. This is the Messiah speaking. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. All right, so what's in John's mind? If Jesus is the Messiah, he, he's going to come and set me free. I've been unjustly in prison. I'm in darkness. Jesus set me free. But he sits there day after day in his prison, he hears news of, of Jesus and his ministry, but are you really the one? Why haven't you set me free? So I would say that uh, John's doubt, and that was his signature sin, was his doubt that it was based on two things. First of all, John's life was not what he expected it to be. Right? He wasn't expecting to now live out his life in prison. By the way, uh, spoiler alert, it's not going to get any better for John the Baptist. 
Shortly after this, he is going to hear the word, we're going to execute you. And he's going to walk in that prison to the place, to the room, where they cut off his head. It's not going to get better for him. Um, so his life wasn't what he expected it to be. He wasn't expecting to live out his final days in prison. And secondly, Jesus' ministry is not what John expected it to be. Like the original disciples, John the Baptist, uh, he understood Scripture, but the fulfillment he didn't have clear. Jesus' disciples, they really believed that, that the Messiah would physically take over David's throne, would set up a, a kingdom, would conquer Rome, and he would be, again, this, this, this great earthly king. And that's not why Jesus came. It wasn't an earthly kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, again, Jesus' ministry was not what John was expecting it to be. And more than likely, John was disappointed. Disappointed in his life and disappointed in, in Jesus. Verses 21 through 23. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Let me say that again. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus knew his signature weakness. He knew the chink in his armor. He knew that Satan was trying to get to him. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble because of me, John. I know where you are. I know you want me to come to the rescue. You're going to have to trust me as you live out your days in that prison. It's interesting. We're going to get to this. We're going to loop back to this here in a few minutes. But what Jesus does is he gives those servants of John the word of God. He goes, go tell John, and he's quoting scripture, Isaiah 30. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see. He gives John biblical evidence that he is who he claims to be and sends them away. Now, what about you? John was in a bad spot. Are you in a bad spot right now? Is your life what you thought it would be? Or are you disappointed in your life? And if so, are you also disappointed in Jesus? And I wonder how many of us are disappointed in Jesus. Your life is not what you thought it would be. You were sure that this disease would be healed by now, but you haven't gotten healed. You thought your son would turn out differently, but he didn't. You weren't expecting that you would be in so much financial hardship right now, but you are. You weren't expecting your daughter to come down with cancer and die, but she did. You weren't expecting to be a widow or a widower, but you are. You thought you would be advancing in your career, but you're not. You're stuck. If you're disappointed in your life, is Satan using that to also tempt you to be disappointed in Jesus? Now, I need to be transparent with you. I've been here. 
two years ago, when I was having so much chronic pain day after day after day, my life wasn't what I was expecting it to be. What's going on? Lord, where, where are you? We get disappointed in our life, and then we start being tempted to be disappointed in Jesus. Where's your healing? Are you listening to my prayers? My friends, perhaps John's weakness, perhaps my weakness, I admitted it to you, is also your weakness. Now, we need to keep in mind when we feel like life is disappointing, we need to keep in mind that Jesus isn't always what we expect him to be, but he's everything we need him to be. See, our expectations are faulty. Our expectations are are based on our thinking, which is tainted with sin. My expectations may not be realistic or in line with with what God knows. Now, here's the next fill-in. Jesus may not be everything I'm expecting him to be, but he is everything I need him to be and everything God wanted him to be. God promises to meet our needs. He never promised to meet our wants. But our needs are met in Jesus. Our biggest need is forgiveness, for sins to be paid for, to be rescued from hell, because that was our destiny. God has met our needs completely in Jesus Christ. He's taking care of our greatest needs. A debt you could not repay, he has already paid for you. No strings attached. It isn't that God's saying, I, I, I'm doing this for you, but you have to repay me. No, it's a gift. It's free. Your sins are forgiven and paid for in Christ Jesus. He's giving you everlasting life. You're going to be part of the resurrection from the dead, given a glorified, resurrected body that will live forever in joy and peace and pleasure the way God always intended it to be. My expectations may not be what are best for me, but Jesus has met my need. And Jesus, the person, the Son of God, he met every want that God the Father had for him. We continue. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out of the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, quote, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. What I find interesting here is that Jesus only gives John the Baptist the word of God. Go tell John the the lame leap, the blind see. Um, You know, he's quoting scripture. They leave. John's in prison and, and he's given the word of God. Then, after they leave, what does Jesus do? He compliments John to the rest of the people. I tell you the truth. Everyone born of men in this world, this fallen world, John's the greatest, the way God looks at things. 
But I tell you, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. The best days are coming. They're, they're awaiting us. Now, what that tells me is this, that God's word is sufficient for us when we're in a bad spot. God's word alone is sufficient for us. The Apostle Paul, he had this thing called the thorn in his flesh, the messenger of Satan that tormented him. He pleaded three times, God, take it away from me. But God didn't. And then God's answer to Paul was, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My powers make, make greater in weakness. God's grace, what, what, what Jesus already did in suffering and dying for the Apostle Paul to, to pay for his sins, was sufficient to sustain him. And likewise for us, God's word and God's grace, what he's already done for you through Jesus Christ, is enough to sustain you in your worst day. And, and that's the, the next fill-in. When I'm in a bad spot, God's grace and God's word are sufficient to help me through. When I'm in a bad spot, God's grace and God's word are sufficient to help me through. So picture yourself again in John the Baptist's shoes. You're the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You had a popular ministry. Uh, it wasn't because of anything. It was, a, it was a God thing. But now you're in prison. You might think your best days were behind you. Jesus comes back with the answer, John is the word of God. The biblical evidence is there. The lame leap, the blind see. Believe the evidence, John. John was about to do a very difficult thing. I think all of us would agree. If we were in his shoes, Jesus is healing everybody else, he's not healing me. The promise is to set the prisoner free, but you know what? I'm going to die before that happens. John would have to walk to his death, but John could do so because God's grace was sufficient for him. He had everything he needed. He had the word of God, and he walked to his death by faith. My friends, one day we are going to see John the Baptist. And if you're ever a, ever a person that, again, your prayers went up and it appeared as if God said no or he wasn't listening or you were disappointed in God, please look to John the Baptist as your poster child, okay? Because his faith did sustain him. We will see John the Baptist in heaven. God has the power to heal. He may not heal me in my, in my lifetime. But he is Lord his grace and his word are sufficient for me. And this leads us to our final point. Spiritual evidence gives way to faith. Spiritual evidence gives way to faith. Again, tell John, blesses anyone who does not stumble on account of me. My friends, I'm telling you, God's word is the evidence that we need. These things are written that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing have life in his name. I guarantee you, you're going to go through some more hard times in the future. I will too. God still loves you. He cares for you. He is the Son of God. And you can still believe in him when you don't see the fulfillment in your lifetime. Fulfillment happens ultimately when Christ returns. Amen. Now may the true peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding here, Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, the Son of God.
Amen.